Bible, please uh, grab it and turn to Mark chapter 1. And uh, we're going to be in Mark for uh, quite a few weeks. Let me just let you know a few kind of housekeeping details as I try and orient my uh, my iPad. There we go. Um, my iPad. We're uh, For those of you who are new, my name is Glenn and I have the joy of pastoring um, this uh, wonderful church. We are uh, one church in four different locations and we have six congregations and uh, it's my joy to be leading this particular one and we're very glad that you are here. Um, what we do as a church, we believe very strongly that the Bible uh, needs to be looked at, studied and taken in, not just Uh, We're not going to look at aspects of it that make us comfortable and make us feel good. Um, As I said to somebody this week, the Bible has a tendency to read us as much as we read it. And uh, so what we do as a church is we try and uh, we look at the Bible through a, a lens of what can we learn rather than coming at it with presupposed ideas, there's aspects of the Word of God that is always going to be challenging. And so when we embark on a new series like Mark, uh, then we're going to camp out in Mark over the next, until now, until summer. We're taking a few breaks here and there, but we're going to work through, there are 16 chapters, where there's going to be 16 messages on Mark, and we want you to be engaged in it. We don't want you to just um, kind of dip in and out and listen to the nice uh, preach about it and then forget about it for a week. If you look on the front of your bulletin, you'll actually see uh, a memory verse um, that we would love for you to each week commit to memorizing. I could preach for the next 45 minutes easily on the benefit of absorbing the Word of God through memory. There is something profoundly powerful and you will, if you commit to this, you will over the next 16 uh, or so weeks, you'll actually be memorizing 16 passages from the Word of God that is, that is going to be beneficial to you. It's going to be wonderful. I also encourage you to read Mark. It's an easy read. Out of all the Gospels, it is by far the easiest book to read. It's very matter-of-fact, very much to the point. So commit to reading the whole book of Mark Commit to memorizing the scripture on the front of the bulletin. Commit to reading the chapter that we're going to be studying. Bring your Bible with you. Bring your journal with you. Be ready to hear from God. And then the final thing is, is join a community group. If you're not in a community group, many of our community groups will actually be studying Mark alongside the sermon. So those are just a few housekeeping things. You will find the notes for the book of Mark on, if you go to our new website, you'll see media in the top left hand, right hand corner, right hand corner, that's hard to say and point the opposite way because I'm, but the top right hand corner, you'll see media as a drop down menu and I think it says community group notes right there, click on that and it's all there. I'm sorry to uh, be uh, perfectionist when it comes to lights, but can we turn these ones down just a little bit and those ones up just a little bit, that would be great because I'm going to end up with needing an Advil. There you go. That's better. Thank you so much. You guys do such a great job. You really do. Uh, before coming here this morning, I, um, my wife, not very often that Sarah's uh, uh, not doing anything on a Sunday morning, and one of the, this morning was one of those mornings. So we went to um, Starbucks before we came here, and, and we got a nice drink, and then on the way to here, I looked at the notice board at Starbucks. And the thing that was overwhelmingly obvious was uh, Kelowna really, really loves being fit, or at least the idea of being fit. 
There's lots of kind of fitness things and good-looking people kind of pointing at you with big smiles that you too can be just like me type pictures. You know the ones that I'm, I'm on about. And then there's fitness, there's shows. And then I counted four. There's one less now because I took it off. I don't know if that's allowed. <laughs> it's my personal vendetta. There was, there was four leaflets uh, giving people in Kelowna the opportunity to go and visit a mystic or somebody who uh, talks to the dead. And, they, and it, it was really intriguing because it used to be that that kind of world would be kind of like a bit Halloween-ish. Do you know what I mean? Kind of somebody maybe in a cloak holding a candle, their face lit up with a pentagram behind them. You know, that kind of thing. Now it's young, good-looking, rich-looking, bright pinks and yellows and greens. Come and talk to the dead with me. It's going to be great kind of posters. And, you know, I took one of them down because I was, you know, you can find it in the bottom of the bin. My son works there, so I figured that's just the same as me working there. Um, But the thing that struck me was it was a reminder to me as to why we're studying the book of Mark. Because in our society, there is an overt interest in the supernatural. We don't like to use the word supernatural because it makes it sound a little bit weird, but there is an intrigue in the supernatural, the other world, the, 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 that aspect of our world that we don't see. And you see, we have an enemy, Satan, who loves to take that and make it interesting and intriguing, but in an evil way. As we study the book of Mark, you're going to find that this whole book is filled with supernatural aspects of life. You know, what was Jesus like? What, what is Jesus like? You see, our culture likes the idea of Jesus because he's a cool guy. And, and I'm going to jump into that next week about this whole idea of, of, of the way our society looks at Jesus. But if for us to really understand who Jesus is and what was Jesus like, we're coming alongside a culture that has a natural intrigue in things to do with the supernatural. You see, Jesus, for us to know what Jesus was like, we need to jump into the book that actually gives a full description of what Jesus is like. You see, Hebrews, it says that Jesus was the radiance of God. So if you want to know what Jesus looks like, you need to read the Gospels. If you want to know what God is like, you need to read the Gospels, read about Jesus, and what you're actually going to find is the way God speaks, the way God acts, the way God sees life, how he responds to situations. And you're going to see this beautiful picture painted of the life of Christ by the author Mark, or John Mark. John Mark was a close buddy, assistant to the Apostle Peter. He was Peter's assistant. And and Mark, as a book, really could be called the epistle of Peter. Because what it actually is, is John Mark, as they traveled together, wrote down the stories that Peter would share. The The other Gospels, Matthew, Luke, and John, would refer to Mark for accuracy. See, Mark was the earliest gospel. 
16 chapters, very succinct. You will find the word immediately 41 times in the book of Mark. You see, I think people think that Jesus kind of walked around, kind of just listening to the Spirit and kind of wisping here a bit and floating over there a little while, like, you know, just eventually finding... No, Jesus was on a mission. And Mark's gospel is a reflection of that mission. It's Jesus went here and did that. Then Jesus went here and did that. And then Jesus went over there and said that. And it's one thing after another. He doesn't mess around. He's to the point. He's unsubtle. He's loud. And that's why I like him. Because that's a little bit like me. I haven't got time to, you know, kind of go around the houses. Just say it as it is. And that's what Mark does. So it was written in AD 63, and, and as I said, it could be referred to as the apostle of Peter, Jesus on a mission. The overriding message theme of Mark is Jesus the servant. Jesus the servant. It was a book written for the masses. And as I think about what I saw on Starbucks notice board, and I think about the book of Mark, what I actually see is that the stories that Mark share about Jesus actually resonate with our culture that is desperate for an answer that is deeper than that which we can hold, touch, and see. That's what we're going to find in Mark. I'm already on to my third sermon in prep, and, and I'm already... Th- for me, starting a new series is like I'm like a kid with with a present. I'm like, I love it. You just jump in and like, I'm, I'm excited about sermon three and I've got to camp out on sermon one, but I, I'm, I'm still looking forward to it. It's, it's going to be a great series. So commit to coming every week with your Bible, with your journal, memorize it, talk about it. It's going to be wonderful. So what's Mark chapter one about? We are not going to go verse by verse and read the whole chapter. I would love to do that. But what we're going to do is just look at certain verses because Mark writes in a particular way. This is really important for you to remember for the whole series. Mark is not a chronology. It is not this kind of sequence. This is what Jesus, then Jesus did this, then Jesus did that. What it is, is each chapter is actually thematic. It takes a theme and it pulls different stories or events or sayings together to prove or represent that theme. It's very interesting when you read the book through that lens because what happens is each chapter, a theme comes through and then Mark does a great job of reinforcing that theme several times. So what is the theme of Mark chapter 1? What is the overriding message that Mark wants us to know from chapter 1. Now before I tell you, let me tell you this. You can read through this book, this chapter, and you will see many minor themes. Now, I don't mean minor as in less important, but there's, there's lots of different things I could preach on out of chapter 1. All under the cover of a major theme. Does that make sense? So the major theme for Mark chapter 1 is the authority of Jesus. The authority of Jesus. Here's what he's doing. He's saying, look, I'm going to tell you about this guy. And some of you, Willow Park South, are like, "Mm, I'm not so sure. So what Mark's going to do is he's going to say, this is why Jesus needs to be listened to. Because friends, let me tell you something very, very important. And I'm going to jump into this next week in great detail. You cannot ignore Jesus. You cannot ignore. Think of Jesus and then go, 
Because if what Jesus says about himself is true, then it has mind-blowing, eternity-making, life-changing implications. So it at least needs to be considered. It at least needs to be thought about, prayed through. If you're not a Christian or you're just exploring the whole idea of Christianity, you can't give Jesus a shrug of your shoulders and get on with your life because if there's a possibility that Jesus said what he did say and it's true, wow, that cannot be ignored. It cannot be ignored. So Mark is saying, well, okay, what's his authority? What's, why, why listen to him? So verse 1, and we're going to be going quick, um, so, uh, so buckle up, it's going to be great. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will, bring, uh, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So here's what Mark's doing. He's introducing us to a character that's going to reinforce the authority of Jesus. And that person's name is John. So point one, Jesus' recognized authority by John. John recognized, understood, bowed down to the authority of Jesus. John was, a, was an interesting character. You can read in the other Gospels, he, he spent a lot of time in the desert, he would eat locusts, he, would, he, he was not somebody who uh, just kind of would disappear in a crowd. He was very loud, very passionate, very obsessed, very focused on Jesus Christ. And, and his message was clear. He was passionate about his message. You see, if we really believe, Christians, the message of the Scripture, then we should be passionate about it. I cannot stand here and preach the Word of God in a way that is just... Because it grips my heart in a small way compared to John. But does the Word of God grip your heart? Does the message of the Gospel grip your heart? Does it motivate you? Does it cause you to get up in the morning and go and do what you're going to do so that you can make much of Jesus because of the authority that Jesus has over your life? John understood the brevity of uh, the importance of, of the message. He understood it and he was passionate about it. See, in verse 4, it says, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. You see, the primary message, you want to know what the Bible is about? The Bible is about man has a problem, mankind. And the problem is called sin. But he also, the Bible says, we have an answer. And the answer is Jesus. And the repentance of the sin brings us closer to Jesus. And so this is the answer. And friends, we need to be passionate about it. If you were to see your child running into the street, you are going to yell, stop, to save its life. If this church was on fire right now, which at any given Christmas is a possibility with all the candles on our stage, it makes it exciting. But if this church was on fire, I'm not going to stand here and go, Hey, um, excuse me. Uh, oh, you know, I'll wait. That's fine. You've got other things to do. That's, I understand, but the church is on fire. We should probably leave. No, no, it's fine. I, I understand you've got 
you've got businesses and stuff like that. I, I get it. Then uh, you've got things to do. I, I'm, I'm going to be yelling like I am now. Friends, let's get out of this building. It's on fire. Friends, we, I have the message of salvation that people need to hear. I am going to be passionate about it. And I tell you, I'm as passionate off the stage as I am on it. We as a church need to be that way. Well, maybe people don't want to hear the message. Okay. Maybe they don't want to hear it, but they need to hear it. Maybe people don't want to hear that the building's on fire, but they need to hear that the building's on fire. We need to share that message. So if you are umming and ahhing about what your calling is in the world, I've just answered it for you. In whatever place God has placed you right now, even if it sucks, your calling is to tell people about Jesus Christ. Just like John. Repent was his message. One word. And it worked. Look, it says, And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. See, he's talking now about the authority of Jesus. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Crowds came to John because in John they heard a message that they knew was the answer to life. The Starbucks notice board tells me that people are looking for an answer. Are the church willing and ready to give it? He recognized the authority of Christ. He made much of Jesus' authority. Number two, Jesus' authority is founded on his identity. See, John recognizes Jesus' authority as being God. And in verse 9, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Verse 10, and when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. You know, this whole book of Mark can be summed up by verse 9 where it says, in those days, Jesus came. Jesus came. And the world has never been the same since. I've said many times, there is no person that more books, songs, films, poems, has been written about than Jesus Christ. Lives changed. All of this attributed to Jesus coming to Jesus walking this earth, Jesus living the life that we are unable to live because of our sin and then dying the death on the cross that we all deserve to die because of our sin. Because Jesus came, the world was turned upside down. His identity, though, was tied up with the Father. His authority comes from his identity. You see, as he was baptized, then the, the Spirit descends and, and it fills Jesus. And it's shown in other scriptures of this dove coming and, and, and this, this same Holy Spirit symbol, metaphor that is seen hovering over Jesus Christ is the same language that's used in creation. There's this new creation, this new time, new revelation. And Jesus' authority is sealed by his identity with his father. Can I tell you, your authority is also tied up with your identity. Who you are, 
how you talk, how you act, where you go to, the decisions you make, are tied up in how you see yourself and who you see yourself as being. And as Christians, we have unapologetically the greatest authority living in us, and his name is Jesus. I remember when I was about 14 years old, my, my father picked me up from school and he, uh, he was a police officer uh, at the time. And, and so uh, I can't remember what rank he was, but he was, he was pretty high up. And, um, and he picked me up in the car and I was about 14 and he had a nice car. And, and uh, I sat at the front and we just started driving home. We were chatting about the day. Now my dad, because of his rank, he, he had a uniform that he wore all the time. But at the end of the day, he would just put like a regular jacket on. So you don't actually see, other than the, the black um, pants, you couldn't really tell that he was wearing a uniform. That's important for the, for the next part of the story. So we're driving home, and then we come on to what's called the A55. And the A55 is like this, a little bit like a freeway. You can get up to some speed, and, and you can get up to like 70 miles an hour at some points, and, and it's good. We're just driving along. And, and then this other guy in another car my dad sees him in his, his rear view mirror. And I remember my dad saying, he's going fast. And then this car just went and zipped past us. Like he was going so fast. And then there was just this second of silence. And my dad, who is a highly trained police driver as well, he always made sure he, he did that qualification. Each year, I think he had to be retested. I remember these words. He says, I can't let that go. And he dropped down like what must have been like eight gears. That's what it felt like. And we went and went after him. I'm like, this is amazing. I was so like we were, and don't get all, this is in the early 90s. We didn't care too much about, well, what about the safety issues? You know, what about this? What about that? There's no police cameras or anything like that. This is being recorded and he's retired. I, I don't care. We just went after him. We were weaving in and out of traffic. It was great. You can take it up with him if he ever comes. But like, I remember my attitude started to change. I went from this 13, 14-year-old kid with a huge grin on my face to suddenly I was as much police chief as this guy. Let's get this sucker. You know, I went to do the Starsky and Hutch thing, hang out the window with the hair and like roll across a bonnet or hood of the car or you don't call them bonnet. But we just flew after this guy. We came off the freeway. I remember going around. Then we hit the back roads. This guy now in front knew that he was being chased. But my dad didn't have any lights on the car. Because he didn't. It was just his car. So this whole thing possibly lasted probably all of five or ten minutes. It was wonderful. I thoroughly enjoyed it. We, he came off this guy. My dad is now flashing his lights and blowing his horn to try and stop this, slow this guy down. And, and I know, I can hear the judgment going, well, your dad's being just as bad as him now. Well, just pull it back. It's just a story. Okay, so we came off and then we flew back onto the same freeway. And eventually this guy had had enough. He pulls over onto the, onto the hard shoulder. And my dad stops. And this guy springs out of the car. He is livid. And I remember thinking, he's a big guy. I remember thinking that. I didn't feel so police chief then. But I felt safe because of my dad. Because my dad, he can more than handle himself with all the different martial arts and everything he's got. 
He got out of the car. My dad did it so slowly. And he walked towards, this guy is like, effing and blind at my dad. And I remember thinking, this is going to be good. And as he's walking, my dad is doing this. He's reaching into his back pocket. And he pulls out his card. And he opens his card and shows the guy who he was. And this guy went, he just melted. And then my dad, I could just see my dad doing this, telling this guy off. I was so happy. I just witnessed something that, you know, as kids you just dream about being in a police chase. But I remember my dad's identity changed the whole situation. When that guy saw who my dad actually was, the whole situation had all the power taken out of it. All the authority that guy had dissipated. This guy was ready to fight and he went from fight to nothing. He got back into his car and he drove away very, very slowly. And uh, my dad didn't actually talk to me about it because I was just itching to it. And he didn't tell me what he said or anything like that. But that little card just changed the whole situation, didn't it? And see, for us as Christians, our card is so much deeper and stronger and and faith-filled that Jesus Christ, the authority that the Bible says the whole world is held together by the power of God, that he was there when creation happened. He was there when, he was, when you were thought about. This power that we're going to read about lives in you and has the power to change any situation that you face. It has the power to take all the power out of every situation that you look at. Where do you find that in the world? You ain't going to find it talking to the dead at any of these meetings. You only find it in Jesus Christ that when we come to him and we repent of our sin and submit to him and all that he did on the cross, then that power, the Bible says, fills us and our authority is changed because our identity is found in him. Our whole life should be overshadowed with this truth. That when you go into whatever situation or you think about whatever challenging situation you have, remember that you have that identity that Jesus had in the Father, living in you so much more than a dove in you. Number three, Jesus has authority over temptation. Very quickly, verse 12, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. I love the way that Mark just went, yep, Jesus got filled with the Spirit. Then he went into the wilderness, got tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Next. Yeah, it's it's almost like, if you want more details, go and read John or, you know, if you want that. But listen, basically, it's no big deal. Because Jesus is who he said he is. He kicked the living snot out of Satan. Next. Why, why, why are we even talking about this? That's almost the way it feels. Well, it's almost like Mark's going, well, yeah. What do you expect's going to happen? This is Jesus, son of God, Satan. <laughs> Next. I love that. I love the way that he just represents this whole massive temptation of Christ in such a 
almost offhand way. You see, Jesus, it says in Hebrews 4, was without sin. And so what Jesus is doing in in this passage is he's setting an example to us. Friends, listen. There are some of you, all of you, who continually struggle with sin and temptation. The reason I know that is because most of you right now are reasonably awake, but very definitely alive. And so you are tempted by Satan. You are tempted by sin constantly. So Jesus sets the example. By word and by spirit, the other gospels say, he brought Satan down. James says, submit to God, resist the devil. Don't try and do it the other way around. Don't try and resist the devil without submitting to God. What does submitting to God look like? Reading the word, getting to church, being filled, meditating, memorizing, filled with the power and the authority of Christ. We submit to him. And then temptation can be a challenging thing. It doesn't say it wasn't challenging for Jesus. It was challenging for Jesus. But it was part of the life that he had to go through. And, and there, is, there is much I could preach on when it comes to temptation Jesus. But I just want to show you how Mark kind of approaches it. In the same way Jesus had authority over temptation, we have authority over temptation. So, so far we've seen that Jesus has recognized authority from John. And John is passionate about it. And we ought to be passionate about the authority of Christ. Secondly, Jesus has authority because of who he is. And we too have authority because of who he is living in us. Thirdly, we have authority over temptation in the same way Jesus did. And fourth, Jesus has authority over people. Verse 16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. (laughs) I think that's funny. Oh, that's why they were casting a net. Okay. Um, And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately, there's that word. I kind of threw around whether or not we should make it. It would give people a shock if they weren't here for a few weeks. That every time the scripture says immediately, we all could say immediately. All together. Like yell it. I thought that would be fun. Okay. Um, I guess that's just me. Thank you, John. Well, you can't do it all one at a time. That would just be, that's embarrassing. I just had this idea of somebody new in the church, just kind of half asleep, listening to the crazy guy. It's also a good way for me to find out who's here each week. But no. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Let me encourage you. Jesus calls us to a process of change. He calls us to a process of change. Yes, there is a, an, a, there's often an immediate and radical, beautiful transformation when somebody becomes a Christian. I've seen it many times. It's pastor's payday. It really is. It's wonderful when somebody suddenly comes into this relationship with the Creator. It slams into their soul and changes them and a light comes on inside of them it's beautiful I love it but then the process of change starts then he starts pointing things out then he starts showing us well that was okay but now it's not 
And because we love him, we want to do what is right. And we want to do the right thing. Not in order for him to get him to love us, but because we love him. But I want to show you something in this verse 18. Something very, very important. If we can go back to verse 18 again. They immediately left their nets. There's that immediate change. Immediately they follow Jesus. But then the gospel accounts give us many, many times when these disciples messed up. They struggle. He calls them. They respond. They struggle. Does that not sound familiar? Does that not our life? That Jesus' call to repentance happens immediately, but the process of change happens a lifetime going into eternity. Let me encourage you, for those of you who are struggling with that temptation, struggling with your identity, struggling with your call, let me tell you, you are in a process that your call is not diminished by the struggle that you are in right now. It doesn't, your identity and authority, authority does not reduce that warrant card, and I don't like to diminish it down to something, a small that ID card is not taken away every time you fall for temptation. He is a loving, caring, merciful God who wants the best for you, and you are going to struggle. You see, the other thing that encourages me about this is that Jesus has authority over people. We all have prodigals. No, let me take that back. Most of us will have prodigals. Friends, family members, children, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, who seemingly were close to Jesus and then wandered away. That's your prodigal. And like the father, you are wondering when they're going to return. Can I tell you that Jesus is all about process? He has authority What was it that you think suddenly made that young man in the story of the prodigal son, what was it that suddenly made him come to his senses? It says he came to his senses and went back to the Father. What was it that initiated that? It was Jesus. It was the Holy Spirit. Now he has to do stuff after that and we could get into all that, but I want you to remind you, those of you who have got prodigals, do not give up on them. Because by giving up on them, you are giving up on Jesus himself. He has authority over people. Be encouraged. It's not what you say, your ability to convince, your adeptness at apologetics or arguments. It's not any of that that draws somebody into the kingdom of God. It's Jesus' authority to call them. And trust me, when you get called, you drop your nets and you follow him. And then the process of change happens. And you know, in that process, it might be that they go way, way off and then come back. It might be that they never actually followed him. They just said they did. Be patient. Jesus has authority over people. Jesus has recognized authority by John. His authority is in his identity, and so is yours. Authority over temptation. He has authority over people. And then finally, number five, Jesus has authority over the supernatural. We're going to hear this word a lot over the next few weeks. We're going to talk about miracles. We're going to talk about healing. We're going to talk about everything that makes us kind of uncomfortable. I was really uncomfortable with this word, even as a pastor, up until about 12 years ago. Are you, don't get me wrong. I, I prayed believing, and, and, and hear me in this, because this might, you might understand where I'm coming from. I had no problem believing for 
Dan's healing and health. No problem. I have no problem believing and telling Dan that it is God's plan for him to be well, for God's plan to be healed, God's plan for him to have health. And maybe this process right now is just showing him things and aspects of his life that God has a story. I totally believe that and would speak it faithfully over people like Dan and whole congregations, thousands of people. I had a problem when it came to me. I don't know whether I truly believe that for me. And then I paid a visit to the doctor. And it was a process um, of, um, I, I, I had this other virus and they did some scans. And, uh, and I remember, and some of you, many of you know this story, but I remember sitting in the consultant's office in VGH and uh, he said, well, and I was a bit confused as to I was, why I was with this consultant because this consultant wasn't the consultant that I actually went to visit first time. But anyway, uh, he was a very nice man. And he said, well, we, in th- throughout finding the scans, we found a lump. Is there anything? And I say this lovingly and carefully, understanding who we have in the room. But I don't think there is... That, those are scary words. He said, we found a lump about the size of your fist just inside underneath your ribs right here. And, and then he said, we don't know what it is. What we do know is that it's fast growing because I'd had x-rays weeks before for my immigration and it wasn't on those x-rays. And he said, so this could be a very fast growing tumor and we need to do some tests. Like world drops out, right? You just, what'd you do with that? 30 years old, I have little children, and uh, it's devastating. So I went for an MRI, and, and then, and this was kind of cool actually. I'd never seen an MRI where it kind of shows you slices of yourself. You showed me the video. Have any of you seen that? Where you're kind of looking at yourself, like a camera's going through the top of your head and going down, where it starts here and goes down, and so you can see your heart kind of open and go down. It's kind of it's like, wow kind of intriguing and then he said and here's where the lump starts and you could see this lump grow and then disappear as it's moving down he said and that's our problem he said but he said there's there's no other symptoms right now so and I can't remember Sarah was with me and this is another thing that I learned that in that moment you actually don't remember very much do you it's always important to have somebody with you and and uh anyway I was sent away lots of tests blah 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 and I had another MRI and sure enough there was a the lump was there and and um and this went on for like two or three months and they were confused, there weren't other symptoms and, and, uh, and then they said we don't, think it's, we don't think it's cancerous but we can't be sure until we take it out and etc, etc so, and then I went for this final MRI and, 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 and then went to the consultant again and he said well, he said let me show you and so he showed me and, and there was just nothing like not nothing, still had other stuff in there <laughs> I'm not sure whether that would be a miracle Praise the Lord. You have nothing now that can go wrong. He said, it's gone. Now, I was like, I'm sorry, what? He said, it's gone. It's just, it's, it's just not there. Sarah was there. You ask her. She's the same one, even if you think I'm mad. I think I still have the video somewhere. He gave it to me on a CD. He said, it's not there. Now, listen, friends, I'd love to tell you that I went to a Benny Hinn. <laughs> oh, don't get me started. I'd love to tell you that I'd had this amazing healing, like slain in the spirit, purple cloth, 
Those of you who remember Toronto Blessing, you remember all that. How many of you know what I'm doing right now? Okay, don't worry. I could have had this amazing experience, and, and I have to tell you, I didn't. We prayed, we cried, we wondered. My wife told me off for being too afraid. Go up and down, up and down, up and down, and then God did, he did his thing. And I remember asking the doctor, I told somebody over coffee this week, we were talking about the supernatural, and I said, I remember asking the doctor, I said, would that be, would that be classed as a miracle? Desperate, wanting him to say, yes, hallelujah. But he went, well, he said, you know, sometimes these things, he said, it is kind of strange, and, you know, I can't really explain it, but, you know, and, and he just kind of hedged around it. I tell you what, I went out of his office calling it a miracle. I don't care how God decided to take it out. Archangel Gabriel could have come with a scalpel in the middle of the night and taken it out. I don't care, whatever. By the way, I just made that up. I'm not saying that's in the Bible. I don't care what's there and it's not. You see, from that moment, my, my thought of supernatural changed because I'd actually experienced something that was inexplicable. And you see, our world is filled with the inexplicable that people are skeptical about and trying to explain away. But the reality is, our world is a supernatural world. And this next part of the passage that I'm not going to read all the way through, but it says, it's, it's this explanation of, of Jesus casting out unclean spirits, of healings, of these incredible supernatural events that only Jesus can do. And, but then he says, Look, we give you the same authority. You go into the world and you pray for healing. You pray for things to see things happen and supernatural things. And friends, I have been in many, many meetings where I have seen and I have heard and I have witnessed things that are inexplicable of this world. They are truly super hyphen natural. What do we do with that? Well, you know, a bit skeptical. Okay, great, be skeptical. But at some point, you've got to kind of go, okay, is there something other than what I see? See, we live in a Western world that's intellectual and scientific and anti-supernatural. People see God as somebody who's just out there maybe. But the Bible says we have an unseen world and we know it to be true. Now listen, let me tell you, I'd love to say that every time I pray for somebody, they get healed. They don't. I don't know why, but I tell you, it doesn't stop me praying. It doesn't stop me believing. Because the Bible says it, and my experience has backed it up, that prayer works. We need a supernatural answer to a world that is in desperate need, that politics, especially now, don't seem to be working. societal change, political philosophy. You can pontificate all you like. Our world is broken. It has a sin problem and Jesus is the answer and it's a supernatural answer. And it makes the church uncomfortable because it seems like as soon as we want to make God something, he breaks out of it and goes, actually, I'm going to do it this way. Okay, well, I'm not very happy about that. And God's like, okay, well, I'm God. I can do whatever I want, with whomever I want, whenever I want, wherever I want. And if I choose to do things supernaturally and heal this person and not heal this person and do this and not do that, that is up to God. And this is what you're going to see in Mark. You're going to see supernatural miracles happening time and time again. And we can't just go and pretend it doesn't happen. Friends, we're a church that believes in healing. 
We're a church that believes in the supernatural. We're a church that believes in prayer. And it's in you. You know what? I truly believe in this room right now there are people who have the gift of healing. And just don't know it. It's a spiritual gift. When was the last time you put your hand on somebody and you prayed for them? Because maybe, just maybe, God wants to work through you in the same way. And see, I find that exciting. So, there are three things I want us to think about in conclusion. I hope you're excited about working through Mark. I really am. Because I'm reasonably excited, as you can possibly probably tell. The first thing I want us to consider this week, and community group leaders, I would recommend you write these down. And they're not on the screen, I'm sorry, because they came to me very late on. First of all, we need to submit to his authority. Submit. We need to submit to his authority. We need to do what pleases the Lord. We need to stop trying to dictate to him how we think things should happen and submit to him and his story, believing that he is in control. We need to submit to his authority. What does that look like for you right now? What are you holding on to, trying to control? Secondly, we need to serve his authority. We need to step out in the authority that God has given us with the ability and the power that he has promised is in us and we need to take risks. We need to pray for people. We need to come to Willow on prayer. We need to say, yes, I will pray for you. I will talk to you. We need to submit. We need to serve in his authority. Not our own authority, in his authority. And then thirdly, we need to share our authority. Isn't that amazing? They all begin with S. Oh, well, that happened. We need to submit to his authority. We need to serve his authority. And we need to share his authority. You know, I've been praying now for a little while. Well, actually, no, it's not a little while. It's quite a few years. A little while in the grand scheme of things, I guess. That God would continually add to this church. Because my simplistic thinking is, is the more people that come on a Sunday and come to community groups, the more they get filled and taught about Jesus, the more likely they are to go out and tell more people about Jesus, and so it goes on. And my prayer is that Jesus would choose to grow this church through his people, working together, sharing his authority, submitting to his authority, serving in his authority, and that he would add to the church. I believe in 2017 should be a year where we see that kind of growth. More people coming to know Jesus. And it will happen as we recognize his authority in our lives. Amen? Oh, I'm glad I got that off my chest. I really pray you'll come out next week, read chapter 2. And we're going to look at religiosity. We're going to look at the secular world. And we're going to look at the gospel world. Giving you a heads up so you can decide now where you go. Well, oh, that sounds good. It'll be good. It'll be good. So come on out next next week. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for your word. Jesus, I thank you that you are who you said you are.